Hey everyone, this podcast is with Gavin McHale, a personal development coach with Craig Ballantyne's team. It was all about handling growth, mindset, and personal development. I enjoyed it. Our mindsets dictate so much of what we do, yet it's hard to recognize what patterns, thoughts, and habits are dictating how we live our actual lives. So I think diving deep into these topics, and most importantly, diving deep into our own minds to confront ourselves is super important if we want to live our lives consciously rather than drift along unconsciously. So it was a cool discussion. Discussion, and you can tell Gavin is well-versed into diving into his own mind and helping other people, specifically entrepreneurs, do the same thing. Tom and Nick over the years have been huge mentors to me when it comes to mindset and personal development. And for years now, I've enjoyed reading their most personal stories, learnings, and thoughts in two main places. One is our weekly email newsletter, which is essentially Tom's personal blog, where he's sharing a ton of helpful information about mindset, growth, personal development, the real estate market, the economy, interest rates and lots of personal stories to boot. And two is the monthly 12-page investment and market update newsletter that we mail out to Rockstar members every month. There, Tom and Nick both share personal articles taking deep dives into the market and economy to share the trends we're watching and how you can take advantage of those same trends with your investing. Plus, we share other investing strategies, tips, and much more there. The monthly 12-page investing newsletter is only available for Rockstar Inner Circle members, but you can jump on our email list for free by going to Rockstar innercircle.com and signing up for the newsletter on the homepage. Then, uh, then and there, we'll share new great insights into how to live life on your own terms every single week. And now onto the show with Gavin McHale. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so let's just get started here. I am live with Gavin McHale, mindset coach with Craig Ballantyne. So Gavin, this is our first time meeting. Craig has been a long-term, you know, recurring guest on this show with Tom and Nick. They've been friends for a long time. Um, so it's cool now that... I think both of them have us on their team jumping into these sorts of things. Yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you, man. Um, what is your official title with Craig and, and what do you do with Craig Ballantyne? I think official title is performance coach, uh, success coach. Um, I like to call it a, a combination of business coaching, life coaching, uh, personal development coaching. I, I sum it up as I'm a vibe coach. I help you, you know, yeah. improve your vibe, make sure that you're, that you're playing at the top of your game kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I've absolutely loved it. And I think, you know, when you talked about your audience, I think similar audiences to, to your audience is similar to who I work with regularly. So I know I can speak to some of their issues and some of their pain points for sure. So I've noticed that with Craig, that it's, it's not just limited to business coaching, but overall life coaching in general. And like, yeah. look, you know, the, the number one thing holding you back in your business might be your messed up relationship with your wife. And that's the thing you need to focus on fixing first to move forward your business. So why do you guys look at that overall big picture and, uh, and not just limit it to the business coaching? Yeah, I think, I think the, I've learned this from Craig, you know, since starting on his team is that, you know, 
there are so many parallel lines in all of the parts of our lives, right? So our relationships, our time management, our money management, our beliefs around money, they're so connected. And, you know, business success is often highly correlated to relationship success and uh, how you manage your money and all those other things. So what we definitely try and do is, you know, people will come in and they'll tell us what they want, right? But we kind of try and go that layer deeper and recognize, okay, what what is the thing that if you if you improve this, everything in your life will improve? Because I think what Craig has learned, I mean, he's one of the OGs, man. You know, like he he's been doing this for so long, and I think what he has really learned is that like he puts such an emphasis on family that he's like, it, it, it really doesn't matter how much money you make or how big your business is. If like the reason why you want to build a big business, which is probably to take care of your family and to have the freedom to to spend time with your family, if that's not taken care of, none of it matters. So I think he's been really good at teaching like the, the more important part of business coaching, which is what's this all for? Why are we doing this? And that, really guides our coaching and guides the questions we ask and the things we look for with our clients. So it's going one level deeper and seeing what they're really trying to get out of their business. Yeah. And, and out of their life and like, what's, you know, what's when they say, Hey, I want to make more money or I want to save time or whatever. It's like, why? Like, like getting deeper on that kind of like the why, you know, you talk about start with why and things like that, but get, getting to the real heart of why, you know, why they're doing all this. What's the, what's the point, right? How do you get deeper with your clients then? Is it just continuously drilling down into the why? Like for myself, I, there's that, I think it's called the seven levels deep exercise where you just keep asking yourself why, you know, seven times. And by the time you get to the seventh uh, layer of that, you've really, really kind of drilled down into like the deepest inner meaning of why you want to do what it is you're talking about doing. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely part of it and that's something that we will often do. But another another part of coaching really is reading between the lines, right? So so when I'm on a coaching call and someone's telling me something, I'm trying to decipher what are they really saying or like what are they not saying that tells me what they are saying, right? So it's it's a matter of, yes, going seven layers deep or as many layers deep as you can in terms of, of asking why, but also it's a matter of knowing the hard questions to ask. You know, what are the, what are the questions that no one has ever asked them before? What are the questions that they maybe haven't asked themselves? And if I can give them that different perspective, they're usually going to find the answer, right? You, you know, we talk about entrepreneurs and real estate investors and all these types of people, they generally have the answers. They maybe just haven't asked the right questions before. So if we can allow them to get that perspective, generally I find that they find the answers themselves and they can pretty quickly figure out what I'm trying to do. Usually it only takes one or two whys to get to the level that we need to get to. I can see how it would be helpful just having a set meeting time with somebody, whether it's once a week or every few days or even once a month, and just having someone to bounce these things off of, who's also in the entrepreneurial space and can kind of understand, you know, the inner workings of their motivations, just to have that objective third person opinion of like, 
you know, is what you're doing working for where you want to be going? And, uh, yeah, to have someone there to question them because you get caught up in your own bubble and you get caught up in your own thought patterns and stuff. And sometimes you just need to talk to somebody else to break out of that bubble. And I find this even with, you know, less deep things in my life. Like if I'm writing an email to send out to the rockstar membership here, um, sometimes I just need a third person to, you know, a third person opinion to look at and be like, well, what about this? And it's like, it was kind of in the back of my mind thinking about that, but I, I chose to not put in the email, but they're like, well, why wouldn't you put it? I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then I put it in and I just needed to like break out of that bubble of me being yeah. so caught up in that email to look at it from that outside view to realize that it's missing something. Totally. So I can see how that would be really beneficial with drilling deep too. Yeah. And one of my favorite sayings that I've been saying for a very long time, I can't remember where I first heard it, but you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Oh, that's and so good. It's, it's this value of whether it's a coach or like you said, maybe someone who's a trusted mentor, maybe even just your spouse, right. Is that, that, you know, has your best interests and knows enough to be able to, to give you feedback is like, when you're bringing on a coach or, an, or a mentor or whatever, you're bringing in someone who has your best interest at heart. Like I want to see my clients win, but I'm also not emotionally tied to the business like they are right. Or like any of their employees might be, I have a, well, I mean, other than the fact that I find a lot of them, like we're friends, but I have a very objective view of their business. And I can ask those, those types of questions that maybe they haven't even thought to ask. That's where the real value is. And then I can tell when they're, you know, once we get to know each other well enough, if they're coming into from a place of overwhelm or stress or, you know, overthinking, I can, I can take that into account and I can kind of like ease the tension, ease the pressure off and allow them to get to the real answers. Cause right. We spin ourselves up and this is one of the mindset pieces, right? We kind of spin ourselves up or we circle around the drain because we are caught in the same cycle of thinking until someone can help break us out of that cycle. Mm. So what's your own story, man? How did you get into all this stuff? Oh man, my story is, uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it somewhat brief. Um, I got into the mindset world because of my own struggles with mindset. I'm, 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 I'm always reminded of the, uh, so Tim Ferriss, it's one of the books back here or maybe over here has tools of the Titans. And I'm reminded, uh, when he said, you know, he was kind of breaking down all the podcasts with these super successful people. And he said, most, if not all of them had a very clear weakness that they turned into a superpower or that they turned into a positive in their lives. You know, you think of someone, for example, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who everyone said, you sound like a robot. Uh, you're too big. You, 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 you're never going to make it in Hollywood. So he said, well, I didn't, I didn't apply for those jobs. And in fact, the, uh, people behind Terminator said they never could have made Terminator if it wasn't for him, because he's the only person who sounded like a robot, right? Yeah. So taking your weaknesses and making them into a strength is something I did. You know, I was, I played hockey. I'm a Canadian kid and I went pretty far. I made it to major junior hockey. For those of you who know what that means, if you don't, it's basically just a level below professional hockey. It's your opportunity to get drafted, to get seen by scouts. And in my draft year, which is the most important year, uh, I like to say I, I orchestrated a complete meltdown over the course of the season. Uh, I just could not 
grasp the concept and deal with failure. So as failure was coming at me, which is inevitable, right? When you're playing at the highest level and you're trying to get better, I just couldn't deal with it. And I basically spiraled out of control into more losses, disagreements with teammates, disagreements with coaches, um, alcohol, like so many things that just kind of spiraled me out of control. But I think that that story, when I share that, a lot of people go like, there's like a level of trust there when I share that because they go, oh, like you've done the thing that I'm the most scared of, which is like waste your potential. Right. And I did it on this high, this huge stage where I could have made millions of dollars and I kind of blew it. Right. So that was the start of this whole mindset journey. But then, you know, I was an idiot teenager, so I didn't actually recognize that that was an inflection point in my life. As we continued on through life, um, I kind of had the same pattern in my business. I was trying to grow a personal training business into like online and make it bigger. And there was this moment where I recognized I was falling into the same pattern where I was avoiding failure. I was avoiding the uncomfortable stuff. I was blaming everybody else. And I was like, I got to stop doing this. Right. And so when I recognized that, I really leaned into the mindset pieces and had a great mentor named Xander Fryer who turned me on to a lot of those things. He's another Craig Ballantyne disciple and um, helped me recognize that I needed to take responsibility and that I needed to change the stories in my head because I had all these stories in my head that were installed in me unconsciously when I was younger. And I was letting those stories drive the bus. And that was what was leading to me kind of shying away from failure, being afraid of growth and being afraid of getting to a certain level. And as I leaned into those stories, I had all these recognitions and I saw all this great success in business. And now that I'm coaching these like high performing entrepreneurs, I'm noticing even though they're quote unquote successful, they're making multiple six figures, seven figures, sometimes even more in business they still have these limiting beliefs and these stories that aren't serving them. So it's what I have really leaned into. And it it basically came from my own experience, not much more than that, just my own experience, then diving into learning more about it, really putting it into practice myself. And then here we are. And now people are asking me for help and I get to talk on podcasts like this and all that awesome stuff. Yeah. What were the stories that you felt you had been installed in you that were holding you back back then? Oh man. Uh, I think the biggest one that if we could encompass them is this middle-class mindset. So grew up in Winnipeg, Canada, which is like a small city in Canada. And my mom was a teacher. My dad was a cop, right? So not blue collar, but certainly like the heart of the middle class. Right. And they grew up with parents who like, there wasn't always money, right? Like, like it was at, it was that level. And generally we're only one or two generations away from that. Most of us, right. Where there really wasn't any money. So those beliefs get passed down. So the beliefs that were installed in me, and these weren't always said to me, but they were like installed through kind of osmosis, through movies, through culture, through society, right. Was, um, money doesn't grow on trees. You got to work really, really hard for your money. Usually you're not going to like what you do for money. Um, get a good job with a good pension so you can retire comfortably, right? These, these money beliefs, but then also, you know, around wealthy people that we, we're not like wealthy people. Wealthy people are bad in some way. That was a big one for me, right? I wanted to be rich. 
But with the old belief system I had, I would have had to hate myself to be rich. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Right. So, uh, so many of those things. And then when it came to hockey, uh, the, the failure belief was I had this fixed mindset, right. That failure meant I wasn't good enough. Whereas a, a more growth mindset would have been failure is feedback, but I couldn't see that at the time. So that was really what hurt me with hockey was that it was a reflection of my character and who I was. And my identity was so tied to my performance in hockey that, it really caused me a lot of it put i put so much pressure on myself and and obviously that spiraled into into not good things so those were some of the things and and i'll tell everyone listening if you don't know what these are it's totally okay because they're subconscious they're beneath the surface they're kind of like behind a wall almost and you have to do some work to pull these out mm -hmm. how do you pull them out great question so I, the simplest way to pull them out, first of all, is to, is, is to kind of put it out there that you want to work on these things, right? There's uh way back in the day there, they came out with the, like the kind of four stages of competence. People have probably heard this, but there's like stage one is unconscious incompetence, right? You don't know what you don't know. You're just like blissfully unaware of all the stuff you don't know. Right. And this is how most of us were when we were young. Right. Then we get into this stage of conscious incompetence. We now realize we don't know much, right? We start to recognize these things. It's like this self-awareness, like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then the, the last two stages are, are, un, or sorry, conscious competence as we're starting to build competence, but we have to be very consciously aware of it. And then ideally after, after lots of time and lots of reps, we get to unconscious competence where we just are different. We just become better. It's kind of like the 10,000 hour rule, right? So most people with most of their subconscious or unconscious beliefs are unconsciously incompetent. So it can be really hard to pull these to the surface. What I'll encourage you to do is look, our brains are built to solve problems. That's literally what they were built to do, to wire things together and solve problems. Problem is most people don't give them their brains very good problems to solve. So the first thing that I would say is to start asking yourself better questions and getting more curious, right? So the goal that I want, let's say I want to make a million dollars in a year. Why don't I have that yet? And then you start to kind of like go, well, you, you kind of start to create your answers and then you start to write those things down and maybe you start to see some patterns. A great question I was asked is like, um, what's something you want to do before you die? And why don't, why haven't you done it yet? And, you know, you start writing things down, like giving yourself the space to ask these questions, but the best way, the simplest way to recognize where you're, where your unconscious beliefs are and what they are is what are your yeah buts, right? So yeah, I could be a millionaire, but right. Like what are your things where your, you know, your story is holding you back, right? So um, I could be a millionaire or I want to be a millionaire, but I'm not good enough yet. That's a belief, right? Um, I want to be a model, but I'm not good looking enough right? Or I want to be a business owner, but I'm not smart enough, right? What are your yeah buts? Those are probably the places where you have beliefs that are not serving you, right? If you look at, if you look at my failure story in hockey, right? It's like, yeah, I could go practice and learn more and really lean into like getting better and working on video, 
but I'm afraid that when I fail, I'm going to look stupid or when I fail, people are going to think that I'm no good. Okay. Well, there's some beliefs right there. Right. Does that make sense? The yeah, buts. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's inherently, I think a really uncomfortable process because even the Very. questions that you were using as examples there, I'm like, Oh yeah, some of those would be pretty uncomfortable for me to face. Totally. And, and this is, so this was the big thing, right? Kind of, kind of a meta thing about like, for me was I had to be willing, like I wasn't willing for a long time to get uncomfortable and to, and to feel the, the messy, not so happy emotions. Right. Another belief that I was brought up with, right. Is, is this kind of like American dream retire at 55 generation was make your life as easy as possible. And a friend of mine once said, um, what was it? If you make the easy decisions, you'll have a hard life. If you make the hard decisions, you'll have an easy life. And, you know, I wasn't willing to ask or answer these questions for a long time. And, and I will encourage, like, I will let people know, like, if you want to do this, be ready for it to not feel great at times, right? Be ready to like, have to lean into and accept some, some not great emotions. And you're going to kind of be whenever you're everyone who says, I want, I love to grow. I love education and growing like growth sucks. Mm -hmm. Growth is hard. You feel like a fraud. You feel all these terrible emotions. You have to work through some pretty dark stories and some shadows and some things that you bury deep down for very good reason. Right. But you know that the juice is worth the squeeze because coming out on the other side, you're going to have new awareness. You're going to be in a better place and you're going to be able to, to actually work with this new skill set that you have or with this new belief that you have. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be agonizing looking at some of those stories. And that's, I mean, that's where I turned away from it. Right. Like as soon as as soon as things started to get uncomfortable and hard and there was a possibility that I would fail or that I would feel not so good, I turned away. And it, it was, I can still remember the first time when I decided to kind of like, I, I like to say, put my shoulder down and lean into, lean into the hard stuff. Right. I can still remember that. Cause it was like this huge aha moment of like every single time in hockey in business, in school, every single time that there was a potential for failure or a potential to feel not so good, I turned the other way. Right. And it left me at a place where the only option was to move forward at like, and to, to break, kind of break through the wall, so to speak. Do you feel now that you've done a lot of this work that you just keep discovering deeper and deeper levels or more and more stories you weren't even were aware were there? Like, does it, has it ever ended or subsided a bit or are you just fortunately, like, it's yeah. just the work never, the work never ends. Yeah. What I, so what I say to people is once you start down this path, it's like flipping on a light switch in a messy room that you can't turn off right? It, it's great because now you're not waiting around in the dark, hoping that you don't run into something. The light is on, you can see the mess and you can start cleaning it up, but you can't turn the light off. And I lived for a long time, again, thinking that when I got to a certain point, I would be done. 
And there's a great uh, documentary. The ethics of it are a little interesting, but Jonah Hill interviews his therapist on Netflix called Stutz. Uh, the, the therapist's name is Phil Stutz. So the, the, the documentary is called Stutz, S-T-U-T-Z. And if you put aside the ethics of it, it's a really interesting thing because Phil Stutz has these, these kind of like three rules. And one of the rules is that you're always going to be expected to work hard. Like it's... It, there's going to be in uncertainty. You're always going to be expected to work hard. And I had this belief that when I got to a certain level of money or when I got to a certain level of working on my beliefs that I could just put my feet up on my desk and crack a beer and I would be done. Right. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And actually it's something that if we can shift, if we can shift our beliefs around it, we can realize like that's fundamental to being alive right? That's fundamental to growing as a human and becoming a better human is looking for the places where you can be better, looking for the places where you can learn about yourself and become more aware and tackling those, right? And we always say in business, new levels, new devils, right? Everyone has, everyone has money problems. Would you rather have the money problems of the homeless guy on the street corner or Elon Musk? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. still problems. Elon's still got to deal with a whole bunch of junk, right? But I'd way rather have his money problems than the homeless person who literally can't find their next meal. So if you can if you can accept the fact that it's always going to be difficult and there's always going to be problems and challenges, then it kind of takes the pressure off and you go, okay, well, then I'd rather solve these problems than these ones. Mm-hmm. It is overwhelming too, just to think about the never-ending tide of problems, but... Uh... <laughs> Yes, I think you just got to compart, 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 I can't speak, compart, <laughs> animalize, you know what I'm saying? Compartmentalize. Um, that's compartmentalize each problem at a time. And, and, uh, you know, you can't tackle the whole no. uh, world at once. You got to just, you know, handle one issue at a time. Yeah. And, and again, like if you're, I like to say like, if your eyes are open to it, right. Like, like if you're openly ready and willing to do the work, you, those problems will crop up and, you know, you'll be like, ah, there it is again. You know, there's that thing. Right. And it's just like, open up your journal, get your pen out and start writing because now's the time to kind of like lean into solving that problem. And this is the other thing, you know, with a lot of high performers is we think that we have to be perfect all the time. Right. So there's this other like recognition that I'll encourage people, right. You mentioned the overwhelm and, and that's very real and very normal, but you know, if we can recognize that, you know, and this kind of like ties into faith in something greater than us, whether you believe in God or the universe or whatever you believe in is that like, you're never going to be presented with a problem that you can't solve you know, what is the saying? Like, God's never going to put you in a position that he doesn't think you can, you can deal with. Um, and also like everything is happening exactly as it should in exactly the right timing. So if you can, if you can wrap your head around that, like kind of the bigger picture thinking that there's something bigger at play here, then it starts to become less of like, Oh, I have to do this and I have to be perfect and I have to fix this. And more of like, it's kind of like a video game where you've just got to fight the next boss and you've got to beat the next level of this video game that we call life. And I don't, I don't say that to trivialize life. I say that as more of like, there's always going to be these levels and these challenges, 
if we can face them more like a game and, and like, Hey, I'm just learning lessons and figuring out the right and wrong way, then we can start to have, maybe have a little more fun and a little more lightness in our lives. Right. Mm, yeah. That's a good way of thinking about it. Cause you're just leveling up. Like you're that's achieving it. new levels. Yeah. Um, what are common stories or archetypes that you come across with a lot of your clients? Is, are there common narratives that you just see with these high performers? Yeah. So the number one, I think the number one narrative is, um, with high performers is, is control, right? So, and I, I was in the same boat. And so I'll say to people, like a lot of times we have gotten to the level that we're at by grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and pulling it along. Right. It's like, I'm just going to do the thing. I'm just going to pull it along. Right. And I'm just going to take control. But a lot of the people that I work with are at a level where if they continue doing that, there's weight, like there's too, there's just too much for them to do, right? They have these big, relatively big businesses, multiple six figures. They've got teams and all these things. Plus they have families that maybe, you know, maybe want to see them every once in a while and them trying to control every little piece and do every little thing is going to put them in an early grave. And it's also bottlenecking their business. Like it's bottlenecking their business growth because everything relies on them and has to go through them. I actually just finished about an hour ago, a call with a client, a, a newer client. She's got, she's, she's over in, in the UK. Her business does, I think about 1.5 million pounds a year. So it's, it's a pretty big business. And she's like, I've got like through the call, we recognize like she's got to let go of some of these things, right? She's going into these businesses. She's the lead design. They do, they do design for like, um, like honestly, like premier league football, we call it soccer teams, like th their storefronts, they design them and she's going through, she's like the owner of the business and she's writing down where there's like paint chips and stuff and things that they have to fix. And it's like, that's yeah. not your job. Your yeah. job is like the big picture design stuff, right? And you trying to control every part of this is hurting you and hurting the business. And probably the person across from you that's paying you is like, why the heck is she worrying about that? Right? Mm -hmm. So tr trying to be in control of everything really hurts us. And there actively needs to be that transition from I control everything to I can automate things, I can delegate things, I can create systems for things that's where a lot of people kind of run into these hiccups because a it's hard to like create systems and pull yourself out, but B they are control freaks and they don't want to let go of control because quote unquote, no one can do it as well as me. Well, that might be the case now, but you're not giving them a chance to do it as well as you. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the things that the, um, the control. The other thing I see a lot of is, is just your, honestly, like your standard imposter syndrome. Like I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this. I'm a fraud. You know, I shouldn't be making this much money. Cause I'm, you know, I'm still that 18 year old idiot who drinks too much. Right. And, and really, I just did a presentation on this in uh, you know a couple months ago uh, to our mastermind group. And it was like, we know too much about ourselves. Right. Yeah. We know all the dumb stuff we've done. Right. And we don't <laughs> recognize that like other people don't know that stuff about us. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we feel like an imposter because of that. But, you know, in reality, we've taken the action steps and done the right things to get to this point. And if other people see us as the expert or other people see us at this level, then our confidence needs to match our competence. Right. And so, again, 
lowering the action threshold so that we can take action even in the face of fear, even in the face of feeling like an imposter. And then so that we can get that feedback and that evidence that we are on the right path, that we are good enough, that we are we we are quote unquote deserving of the level of success we've had. Those are two of the biggest things is that control and then that feeling like a fraud. What do you mean by lowering the action threshold? So everyone's seen the graph on Instagram or whatever, where it's like, we think the road to success is a straight line, but really it's yeah. the squiggly line. Yeah. I like to look at that as like beyond just a straight line, we often, some part of our brains thinks that success is one action and it's the perfect action that gets us from here to the final goal immediately, right? It's not just a straight line. It's like, we think that it's like one action step. And so we put so much pressure on doing the right thing now that we forget that this squiggly line is actually a whole bunch of different actions where we made mistakes and we reiterated, right? So we've got this like straight path. We went off the path. Oh, I'm in the trees. Let's get back towards the path. Oh, I'm in the trees on the other side. Let's get back. And we kind of just basically tinker and make changes and reiterate until we can somehow manage our way. It's always messy. It never goes the way you think it will. Right. But if you're moving in the right direction, then you're going to give yourself the best chance at success. And Alex Ramosi has a great quote on this that really encapsulates what I'm talking about. He says, if we measure success by taking the action steps that would make it unreasonable to fail. So the only thing we're worried about is taking the action steps, not succeeding, not the outcome goal, not the amount of money or the weight loss or whatever it is, just focus on the next action step. If you keep doing that, you'll succeed by default because you're just doing the right things. Mm -hmm. Right. So lowering the action threshold is how can I make sure that I still take the next quote unquote right action or the next indicated step on the path, even if I'm scared, even if I feel like I'm going to screw it up royally, because if you screw it up, you're probably going to learn more anyway. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, like actually harming anybody or moving away from the thing that you want, you're going to learn enough so that you can reiterate and get yourself back towards the path. Mm. How much do you think is appropriate to beat yourself up? How much beating your own yourself up is appropriate? Because sometimes I think a little bit doesn't hurt, right? It's, totally. it's, yeah. it's a self-corrective mechanism. And it's, it's, you know, not giving yourself any excuses and, and facing the reality of maybe the mistake you made or the thing you said that you shouldn't have or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But then it, I think it can probably be taken too far. So what, totally. what are your feelings yeah. about that? You know, I'd like to answer that question and say zero is the right amount of beating yourself up. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why I would originally say that kind of snap decision is because I see so many people who are who are so hard on themselves, like you said, that it doesn't actually serve them. Mm -hmm. I do think there is value in it. Right. And I would change beating yourself up to there's value in holding yourself to a higher standard. Right. And, and, and then when you don't meet that standard, becoming an objective observer of that, 
right? If we kind of, if we kind of cycle back to what we talked about early with like, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. The reason you can't read the label from inside the bottle is because you're so emotionally connected to your business and to what you're doing. If we can hold ourselves to a high standard, right? Which is we have high expectations of ourselves. And then when we don't meet those or when we make a mistake or, or whatever, we can zoom out and look at it objectively. That's the best way to, I guess, the term would be like to be hard on yourself is to go, okay, where did I screw that up? What did I mess up and how could I change it next time? And this is kind of like, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this a different way is that judgment would be what I consider beating yourself up is judging yourself and judgment and curiosity. I like to say they live next door to each other. So judgment is I suck. I'm the worst, right? You're beating your, you're literally beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it usually ends with a period or an exclamation point, that statement, right? Whereas curiosity is a very similar statement, but it ends in a question mark. Do I suck? Am I the worst? Am I terrible at this thing? Or is it just the fact that I made a mistake? Or is it just the fact that I didn't have enough information or I acted too quick or whatever? When we can get curious, it allows us, again, it allows our brain to solve problems instead of us just saying, I suck. So that's where like language is really important. I think that we should hold ourselves to a high standard that forces us to do hard things and grow. But when we make mistakes, instead of judging ourselves and like beating ourselves up, let's call it um, gracefully correcting ourselves. (laughs) Mm. How are you personally working on your own mindset, Kevin? Um, So logistically, some of the things that I do on a day-to-day basis is, um, every morning. So I'll kind of take you through the, 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 the mindfulness practices that I have. So every morning, um, I start my shower on cold. So it's something that, and, and a lot of people, there's a lot of talk about, you don't need cold tubs and all this stuff. The reason why I do it is because it reminds me that I can do hard things and that I'll be okay. I won't die. Right. So it's kind of like my hard thing to start the day. And then as my, as my coffee's brewing or, or whatever my in the morning, I'll just do a little bit of journaling. Um, it's not much, it's maybe five minutes and I have some non-negotiables in my journaling. What I like about journaling for anybody who's tried it and maybe doesn't like it is it's like having a conversation with yourself. I find a lot of my ideas land and a lot of, you know, light bulb moments happen when I'm when I'm talking or when I'm writing. So I'll just write about my day and things like that. And then I do two things that are non-negotiables. One of them is what I call a brag book. So again, if we're hard on ourselves, too hard on ourselves, I say to people, write down one win that you had yesterday or one place where you can brag, right? We were taught to be humble as kids. Well, this is your opportunity to brag a little bit. Yeah. I closed that client or, you know, I, whatever I worked out or anything really, you know, I moved this deal forward, something like that. So I do a brag book. I do one brag and then I do what I call like a a vibe check, which is essentially an emotional check-in, which is like, what am I feeling right now? And what is that trying to teach me? So for me, I grew up, I hid a lot of my emotions like most men in the nineties did. 
And I kind of like lost my way in that I didn't know what I was feeling. So I'm really working on becoming better at regulating my emotions and being aware of what I'm feeling in the moment. So if I'm having an argument with my spouse or if something happens in my business or something goes wrong, I don't snap off the handle. I can respond to it in an emotionally regulated way. So those are some of the things that I do in the morning. And then one thing that I do is I'm on a lot of calls. I coach a lot of people. I kind of take a lot of other people's stuff. So I set aside time every day for me to what I call take care of my nervous system, which is could be as simple as closing my eyes and focusing on my breath for two minutes. It could be a meditation. It could be breath work. It could be journaling, something where I don't have any inputs. I'm just like going inward and letting myself just like, calm my nervous system down. Those are some of the non-negotiables for me. Also, I like to, you know, make sure that I get outside and go for a walk every day, even if it's a five or 10 minute walk, just to get outside and again, get out of my head. Those are some of the things that I do to, to work on my mindset. I know it seems simple, but those are, I mean, those are the foundational pieces. Yeah. They're like little mental aid stations. I, I can, I can see how you would, um, you could feel bogged down mentally and emotionally by yeah. just hearing about so many other people's problems through the day. And, yeah. uh, especially if you're like an empathetic, helpful person, which you definitely seem to be, then it, it, uh, I feel like you would take those problems on. Yeah. And, and that was actually one thing my wife said to me, you know, I was, I, I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of, of mental health struggles and challenges. And my wife just said to me, like, you know, you act like a therapist for so many people, um, you know, I'm not saying I am a therapist in any way, if anyone's listening to this, who, you know, legally speaking, I'm not, but a lot of times people will bring problems beyond their business, right? Big, tough problems, you know, sickness, illness in the family, deaths, divorce, difficulties in marriage, difficulties in business, money issues, right? I often don't have, I just take that all in and then I sit with it, Right. So I've actually, two weeks ago, I had my first ever session with a therapist as well, which was so great. Cause I just got, again, more little things that I can do to take care of my own mental state so that I can show up the best for other people. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any examples offhand of, of roadblocks that some of your clients have faced, um, you know, mental roadblocks that you helped identify and then them overcome and and how they they were able to do so? Yeah, I, I want as you're talking, one jumps to mind that I'm sure a lot of people um, maybe have experienced or are experiencing and aren't sure that like don't know what's going on, and that's uh, you know it, it can simply be characterized as fear of success, right? So we get to a certain level of success, call it. Okay. So let's say we get to a certain level of income. Let's say we've always wanted to make a million dollars and we get to like 900 K and we know that we're knocking on the door and then somehow we managed to self-sabotage. We kind of stopped doing the things that worked before the calls stop coming, the money stops coming and the deals flow stops happening and we don't know what's going on. And so I'll often that's a place where we can kind of pull the thread and go a little deeper with people because it's, it's, 
it's very common to be afraid of success because when you hit a certain level of success, whatever that means to you, that could mean six figures. That could mean seven figures. That could mean a certain amount of real estate property, like properties that you've invested in. Um, it could be a certain size of team or whatever it is. People in your life are going to view you differently. It's just a fact, right? It's, it's the exact reason why a lot of people struggle to lose weight because when you lose weight and you become a, you've, you fit into a different identity, there are different expectations of you in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm known as a millionaire, which, you know, so many people want, I want a million dollars. I want to be a millionaire. There's a different set of expectations on a millionaire than there is on anybody else. It's, it can be scary and there can be like, you can lose relationships uh, with parents, with friends, with people that you grew up with, whatever. Um, there's again, more expectations. There's so many little things that we didn't account for when we said we wanted this goal or when we said we wanted to build this business to a certain level. So yeah. I think 90% of my job is just asking questions. So if, if someone is noticing that they're struggling with something, I'll ask them questions to try and allow them to understand what's going on because they understand better what's happening than I do. I just have to kind of pull it out of them. So I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, if you find that you're noticing friction or resistance at a certain level, or you kind of like keep getting to that level and it's like, you're hitting a, a, a ceiling and then falling back down, whatever it is, success in any way, I encourage you to, to dig deeper on and ask more questions, get more curious because there's probably something there that as crazy as it sounds, where you're afraid of success. Hmm. It's a really interesting one, right? Like why would somebody be afraid of success if that's the thing they're chasing? To totally. But, but and, you're and right. It, and there's... It's because there's these other things that go along with success. Yeah. And you, and you don't account for that. Like it's, you don't no. think about how other people are going to perceive, perceive you or what they're yeah, going to Or like, or like, you. you know, again, if we grew up, I know I grew up disliking wealthy people, right. And we want to be wealthy. Well, what do we think is going to happen when we become wealthy? More people are going to dislike us. More people are going to, you know, come after us for money. More people are going to try and extort us and, and whatever it is. It's like, those are very real things that are happening in our subconscious brain that we need to address so that we can move past it. Hmm. That's interesting stuff, man. It's fascinating how your psychology really will dictate, you know, what you choose to pursue in life and your motivations. And, uh, yeah, yeah. just the, that's a great example of the fear of, okay, now I've got some money. People are going to start not liking me or friends are going to get jealous of me or family members. Now they're, you know, shooting little comments at me and stuff. Do I really want this? Right. If it means that people I care about in my life are going to stop liking me. Totally. And, and like, you know, the, some of the common ones for me recently even have been like, I like to wake up early because that's when I can get a lot of really good work done, mm -hmm. which means I leave the party at nine. Yeah. Right. Me, so me too, people man. are right. So people question yeah. you or, yeah. uh, you know, over the past year and a half, even two years since I started working with Craig, I, I all but quit drinking, you know, I'll have one drink, man, every three months or something. And there, you know, 
a lot of people, I don't really see them anymore because they were drinking buddies. But, you know, there's fear that, you know, you go out with a group of friends and you say, oh, I'll have a water, I'll have a Diet Coke. And they go, what the heck are you doing? Why aren't you having a beer? Right now you got to explain yourself and it's this whole thing. So it's like, it's easier to just stay, just have a drink. It's like, well, yeah, but now you're kind of like going against yourself so that you can make them feel more comfortable. So there's all these little things, right? That it changes when you are pursuing something that most people aren't willing to pursue or aren't, don't have the courage to pursue. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, but it also makes you question if you want to pursue it, if you really want to be, you know, the tall yeah. poppy and, you know, why do you care to do that in the first place? Like, why do you, why do so you want good. to be the guy that refuses to have a drink? Um, like, why can't you just live like a regular life? Like you start questioning yourself and you're yeah. like, apparently and then, I know I'm wasting potential, but at the same time, why, why am I so ambitious in the first place? Is this some deep insecurity I have that I need to be this guy that's going to achieve these yeah. things. It's yeah. It's, I don't know how to handle it personally. And, and I'll, I'll also encourage anyone asking those questions, including you, Anthony is like define a normal life, right? Like define, yeah, yeah, like yeah. just because we grew up in a society where alcohol, it was normal to consume alcohol when you go out socially doesn't mean that that's normal. Right. Yeah. If you look at if you look at most of the highly successful people in like the business personal development space, most of them don't drink. Right. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. Or they'll say, I, I still remember one of the most successful people in the personal training industry. I went to my first personal training like business summit, this event, and everyone was going out drinking and I was so excited about it. And he just said, he just said, like someone said, Hey, you come in. And he just went, I'm not a big drinker. And he just didn't go. Right. And it's like, Oh, like I didn't twig. I just thought he was weird at the time. Now, five, six, seven years later, I'm like, ah, I get it. Now you can just make the choice that you don't want to drink. And he still was able to get up at 4am and, you know, or whatever time he gets up and do his work and get stuff done and, and then present at the the thing. And I'm dragging my ass out of bed at nine 30 cause I'm exhausted and I'm hung over. Yeah. And then it takes three days to recover. And I yeah, mean, that's like, you know, if you look at one week, you know, and half the week is just spent recovering for like, that's 50% of your week you underperformed. And like, for me, it's just like the deeper level of that is it's just, it's, I had an interesting relationship with it through sports and through hockey. It's just not the type of, of person that I want to be. And, and I feel far better not drinking. And I've found that I can have just as much fun without alcohol, which is even better. I'm like, Oh, I don't need to rely on the booze to like lubricate me. You know, I can have fun myself. So, so that's yeah. been a, a big realization, you know, for that example. Yeah. But it's so painful cutting that piece of your life off, right? Those relationships, those friendships, yeah. which might've just were, you know, drinking buddies and centered around alcohol, but it's, it's a part of your identity at the time yeah. that you're cutting off to grow into a new identity. It's, it's like yeah. cutting a limb or a finger off to, to grow a new one. Like it's painful. Totally. And I, but I've found too, that, you know, the people that the, the a lot of people were just like, Oh, okay. And, and, you know, those are the ones that, that really matter. And, and the people that kind of distance themselves, it's like, 
again, oh, okay. <laughs> Clearly, like this, this wasn't that much deeper. Whereas the people who are like, okay, that doesn't change anything. I still want to talk to you. I still want to hang out with you. And you can drink whatever the heck you want. I don't care. And maybe they have a beer, maybe they don't. That's totally fine. Yeah. So do you think that drinking one specifically just comes from people feeling uncomfortable, like you're judging them for drinking? So I always, I have, I heard this, I think it was on Instagram that alcohol, let's be real. Alcohol is a drug. Alcohol is the only drug where people will question you for not partaking, right? No one will sit at a table at a restaurant and go, why aren't you shooting heroin into your veins right now? Yeah. But, th but they'll say, why aren't you, why aren't you drinking? You know, with women, are you pregnant with guys? Yeah, are yeah. you an alcoholic? Right. No one does that. No one says, why, why aren't you smoking crack right now? You know? Yeah. So, and I wouldn't say that alcohol, I mean, alcohol is definitely not as bad as those things, but it's not good for you. It's, it's poisonous. Like it is toxic to our body. So it's like, why should you care what I'm putting in my body or not? I'll drink whatever the heck I want. Just like I'll eat whatever I want. And you don't really have to have a say in it, you know? Yeah. But immediately right there, it almost, it causes now a conflict between you and that person. Right. Cause you're like, look totally. back off. I don't want to drink. Like, why are you trying to force me to drink? And now totally. it's a conflict. So it's just easier to avoid that conflict for hundred percent, all of us. And if you're willing to have that conversation, it also, what I've found is it allows me to be understood a little bit better. So, you know, I can say, and, and, and I feel I can then set the example because what I find is like most of the people that I know would probably rather not drink, but they feel like they, they feel like they have to. So me saying, you know what? No, I'll have a non-alcoholic beer. I'll have a diet Coke or whatever is they're like seeing this example of what they could possibly choose to do if they just chose to get uncomfortable. And so I'm kind of like being an example for them. Yeah. And that's the stuff that people are, are thinking, but oftentimes won't say. Right. And, th and that, in my opinion, is the definition of being a leader. Got it. It's yeah. just, just doing the things that, that align with who you want to be. Now, I don't, if you want to drink, I don't care, go for it. But the person that I want to be the best version of me, there's not a beer in his hand. So I made that decision and that allows me to hold an example for somebody else that I control. I'm in control of alcohol. It's not in control of me. And that's a decision that I make. And you can choose to do that too, by my example, or you can choose not to. And both of those are okay. Yeah. Cool, man. I want to respect your time. I know you got to get out of here. Uh, you've got a great Instagram. So <laughs> do you want to shout that out and any, any, anything else that you want to share yeah. with people? I'd love to share two things. So my Instagram is at Gavin McHale one. I would love it if you checked it out, folks. Uh, I, I do. I also agree. I think we're doing a good job of putting good, good stuff out there. Um, one other thing I want to point people to is a free video on YouTube. You don't have to put in any information or anything. It's a daily money attraction visualization. So you actually don't even need to like meditate or close your eyes or anything. You can do it while you're walking or driving or something like that. It's less than 10 minutes and it just reframes your mindset around abundance and money. And I think it's super, super valuable. People have gotten ridiculous results from like listening to it for a week. Like some of the stuff we've seen is just crazy. Um, and it's just, 
it's a nine and a half minute video about reframing your beliefs around money. And it's, it's a nice, it's a cool little visualization. I encourage people to check it out. So I'll send you the link, but it's dailymoneyattraction.com. We'll redirect you to YouTube and you can check out that video. Okay. So do you have to sit down and just listen to the video or can you just have it on in the background? Or? No, like Craig, Craig Valentine will listen to it all day while he's working. He'll just have it on a loop all day. Oh, so you can just have right. it on in the background. It's probably better if you like close your eyes and visualize, but you can just have it on. Yeah. Cool. And just hammer it into your brain. Yeah, man. Okay, cool, man. Gavin, it was a pleasure uh, again to chat with you. Um, some yes. interesting topics and uh, I think it'd be good to have you back and dive into more of this stuff, man. I'd love to, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, cool. Okay. Appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll let you go. Thank you so much. A big thank you to Gavin McHale for coming on the show and sharing great insights into growth and mindset. I really appreciated that, Gavin. You can follow Gavin on Instagram at GavinMikhail1, and you can access his daily money visualization video on YouTube. The video is called Money Mindset Visualization Exercise with Gavin McHale dash abundance meditation. That's money mindset visualization exercise with Gavin McHale abundance meditation. And you can join our weekly email list for mindset and personal development insights from Tom himself on a weekly basis by signing up for our email newsletter on the homepage at rockstarinnercircle.com. You'll see it there and you can join the same newsletter that over 20,000 Canadians have been subscribed to for years. So thank you for listening, everyone. We hope to catch you on the next episode.